Hi, I'm back with Tim Cohen, and he's one of our favorite authors, uh, Andy Cries and a Cup of Tea. You guys have already watched. A lot of you watched the Commonwealth Games video that we did a while back, a couple of months ago. It's very popular commentary on that. So I thought we'd talk about more of the stuff that's already happened in the few months ago with the Grammys and other concerts that Tim and I are going to be talking about more of symbolism. And if we have time, we're going to go over King Charles and his sustainable development goals that's been behind the scenes lurking everywhere that's changing the world right now as we speak. So uh, welcome, Tim. Hi. Yeah, hi. Glad to be with you. Yeah, me too. So I'm uh, really excited to see what your thoughts are on uh, more videos that I'm going to be sharing. So let's just start on. So this is Madonna introducing Sam Smith and his satanic video uh, in his circle of demon possession. They got a lot of satanic overt symbolism and even like the, the background dancers, even men and women all had that long black hair. So what do you think there? My first reaction seeing it is great anger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's not just sick and disgusting and brazenly satanic. It's, it's before an audience that's going to include children from parents who are not so discerning or careful as they ought to be. And it's very sexualizing and satanic. It's it's disgusting. And to see the audience react with clapping yeah. to that is just stunning. But there's been so much desensitization, you know, over the years with people like Katy Perry and, and a variety of others who have um, intentionally interwoven satanic imagery, satanic worship, sexual. I call it sexual Satanism because that's what it is. It's easier and less awkward, I think, to say that than to say something like LGBTQIA+, plus, you know, yeah. whatever, mixed with infanticide, the serial mass murder of unborn children. So you've got these people out there who are satanic, uh, you know, sexual Satanists who are certifiably uh, what I would call um, insane. Well, why do you, you know, claim that, that they're something they aren't? Why do you think the audience accepts it? See, that's what amazes me. Like, I, I understand the imagery that they're trying to project. You know, they want that worship. They're trying to elicit this normalization of satanic worship everywhere. You know, we've seen that in the Commonwealth Games. We've seen it in football uh, halftime shows. We've seen it for decades, right? So what I think is actually happening is that they're trying to prepare people to start worshiping Satan. And when I, I don't think they're preparing, they're inviting at this point. Yes, I think they view yeah. the audience as prepared at this point and desensitized. How else could you have all these major networks, you know, showing these things and cheering them on and praising them rather than denouncing them and censoring these people, right? The only way that happens is if you've got Satanists actually running the show behind the scenes. People who yeah, know they're Satanists or simply don't care, who want to blaspheme the Lord or to him, it means nothing spiritually to them. It's just making a buck, you know, with entertainment, no matter how sensational or wicked they have to be. Yeah, so this so. is Rihanna in the halftime show. Same thing, a lot of red. And I wonder why they're choosing that color this year.
feel like a lot of these dancers is kind of like symbolizing a little bit of that spiritual calling on spirits like voodoo dancing and all this other stuff. So it seems like they're just part of this whole spiritual stuff that we're not even probably even realizing that that's what they're doing. There's a lot of pride and arrogance in that, flaunting it, you know, before God. No concern about offending God. And to an extent, it reminds me of, you know, pagan worship and voodoo ritual type stuff where they've got dancing that is very inappropriate. But this is particularly sexualized, these kinds of things. Like they're trying to portray themselves surrounded by angels or something, like the devil surrounded by angels doing all kinds yeah. of wickedness. I also think it's sexual symbolism. Like, I'm just gonna go say it. It's like sperm. And where she's like the egg, this is kind of egg. I mean, people who do this kind of thing should never have a public platform again in their lives. <laughs> but they're being celebrated in our society today. I've listened to all of her songs. What I was mad. So this one is Ozzy Osbourne, patient number nine, which is like super built with symbolism. And it's actually telling the story of, I think, what's happening since 2020 and all the stuff that we can't really talk about. What year was it recorded? Do you know? I think it's a brand new video, but I didn't okay. check to see uh, which year he actually did it. The reason why I wanted to pick this video is because um, since 2020, I think a lot of the symbolism is embedded in this video. So what do you think of that? I think it's loaded with... He's clearly suggesting that he himself is a devil or possessed by the devil yeah. or demons. Yeah, and he's he's mocking with that the notion that God can save, you know, wearing the cross and saying he's not getting out alive. Right. Uh, showing the devil winning rather than God winning. And, you know, Ozzy Osbourne and his wife are supposed to have become Christians, which clearly is not true. No. And you can see the fact also, for, you know, he participated, for example, in the closing ceremony of the Birmingham Games, the opening and closing ceremonies, I believe, but definitely the closing. And, uh, boy, clearly not a Christian man, and clearly somebody who, um, you know, fears his own demise and going to hell, which, of course, is where he is going, as someone who blasphemes God and doesn't genuinely believe, and would suggest that the devil triumphs in the end rather than God triumphing. So I, I see the whole thing as incredibly blasphemous, and even throwing the 666 in there, right? 
and suggesting he himself is possessed and enslaved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the number nine seems like it's just a calling for the triple nine, the triple six. And he himself in these videos is acknowledging slavery that, you know, like once you, you can't get out, once you're in it, you know, this is him right here, part of it. And then. Well, you, you notice know, that imagery is very much like when they were pulling that bull at yeah, the Birmingham Games. You're right. I didn't even. The ball, Molech bull. Yeah. yeah. And when, he, when they invert the cross, you know, Satanists do that. And Ozzy Osbourne was doing that in this. It's not a lot different, I realize, from showing the number nine and then inverting it, right? And turning it yeah. into 666. And look at, like, even the symbolism. A lot of blood and gore. But, see, drugs. in this video, he's talking about drugs. But, you and know, the red pill. It's also yeah. the red pill idea from uh, The Matrix, right? Yeah. Take the red pill and you'll know the truth kind of thing. Right. You know, so they they proclaim freedom, but, in fact, what they're bringing is slavery. Yeah, and, you know, the other thing was, you know, the symbolism of the syringe. Here's the one with the cross. So mm -hmm. here's, are they mocking Jesus? And, you know, like the, the red, I think it's the symbolism of blood, Jesus' blood. You think that has yeah. something to do with why they're all wearing red this season? Like the No, I think that it's got to do with worshiping the devil. You know, it's, it's very common to try to take something and, and do a duality type thing. In other words show two sides of something and as if it were two sides of the same coin. It's very much like Zoroastrianism saying there's a balance between good and evil. Here Ozzy yeah. Osbourne is emphasizing the evil. You know, he sold his soul to the devil, yet publicly he and his wife would, and I can't speak for his wife directly because she's not in this, but she's still married to the guy. So, you know, uh, publicly they suggest that they're somehow Christian, but they're thoroughly, at least he is thoroughly anti-Christian. And I presume the same as Triv's wife for her to remain with him after all this time and not speak out about these kinds of things. They're not openly speak against them. And he's so. always wearing a cross in this video. So he's definitely mocking God. You know, like if you wanted to make like satanic images and worship, okay, go do that. But it's always filled with mocking God and, and you know, still using that symbolism with the cross. And the snake, I think, in here, like, you know, throughout the whole theme is the snake. And the trident, which, it's funny, I actually wrote about this trident. So, in the symbolism, Hindu symbolism is called Trishula, which means three spears or poking. And I kind of used that in one of the books, which I, it's, it's banned on YouTube and everywhere else. But the theme with the syringe and the snake... I think it all ties in to what's been happening, well, you know, since 2020, which I can't talk about. Um, but, it, like, throughout the whole thing, if you watch it in slow-mo, there's actually a lot of stuff that's being foretold in here. And, you know, how it's related to medicine. Because even though he's talking about drugs, uh, part of it's like, injecting the stuff. So let me see if I can find that. Have you seen Anthony Fauci's personal family no. crest or coat of arms? Well, I'll just mention on it, it's got a snake swallowing a child. Oh, really? We yeah. should put that up there. And that actually says a lot in reality about Anthony Fauci's nature and character and what he's really about. You can go back and look at his history with uh, orphans and others in 
on whom experiments were conducted under him. Most of them. Uh, I could say a lot about him, but I'm not sure I'm allowed to say. Yeah, and I'm just saying it's all related to this kinds of stuff. This stuff, you know, that you're sharing here. Yeah, it's all related. And um, well, what I want. Ozzy Osbourne was portrayed there with a snake going up his nose. You saw that in the video, right? So many different ways that they were possessing him or or us, sh showing him, portraying him as possessed, right, by the devil and so forth. Well, I feel like they all are wanting to normalize this behavior and acceptance of this kind of possession and spiritual uh, invoking of demons and worshiping Satan and just calling him out. And they're linking all this imagery of our daily life and daily experiences where everybody's participating. But Well, when they question it, they are, you know, when they're questioned about it, they explain it as entertainment, right? Right. So they're they're simply being dismissive of what's obvious before our own eyes, and when we talk about the Baphomet, we saw that in the video with Ozzy Osbourne as well, right? Yeah. The Baphomet has androgynous sexual, you know, it's androgynous. It's got male and female sexual organs besides clearly representing the devil, and it's been a popular symbol, you know, among Satanists. But what it really is portraying in a symbolic form is what they are now. Uh, actualizing by doing these mutilating surgeries right. on men and women and children to destroy them sexually and to pervert the nature God gave them genetically. But what they're doing is they're remaking them in the devil's image, that image of the Baphomet. Yeah. And that's what the public needs to understand. So it's taking sexual Satanism in a symbolic sense to a new level uh, by trying to make it external and in another way. Um, in a very perverse way that is the opposite of being fruitful for God. And these people don't reproduce, right? So it's part of the whole agenda to reduce human population globally, which is why we're seeing this sexual Satanism pushed from the top down in nations around the world, particularly uh, in the West, like the United Kingdom, the United States, Canada, etc. It's an intentional agenda, and it's not because these politicians and leaders like these people or think they somehow represent something good. I'm sure that behind the scenes, a lot of them are grossed out by these individuals. However, they realize that their agenda is in serving the devil to reduce human population, among other things. And that is the real reason they're pushing this stuff. And they don't care who they kill or whom they harm right. along the way. And they're mass influencers. That's why I work so well with them. Because they, you know, have millions of followers. So as you mentioned, you know, like this is a global agenda that everybody's kind of following top down. And I'm going to share your uh, website, prophecyhouse.com, which has your books. And you talk about King Charles is the one that is the Antichrist that's running the stuff behind the scenes, right? So how do you think it connects with all the stuff that we've already watched and what's going on, I think it's all related, you know, so that that's why I wanted to bring you on and talk about this because I feel like whatever is happening with, with King Charles and the stuff that you already wrote about, is kind of manifesting into all of this as some sort of agenda, not only to reduce the population and get satanic worship, but it's all connected. What I want to do is go into some scripture so people understand what's really happening in the world today and why. So 1 Corinthians 15, you know, it talks about death here. 
And it tells us the last enemy that will be destroyed is death by the Lord, right? Mm-hmm. In Revelation 20, it talks about Christ's thousand year reign and what happens right before that. You know, the dragon, the serpent of old, the devil, Satan, bound for a thousand years, right? Mm-hmm. The devil is the last enemy. He is death. You know, bringing the fall of mankind into the world, which resulted in God's curse, led to death on earth, right? And of mankind, death among God's creatures in his creation and his curse, as we read about, for example, in Genesis 3. Now, the Lord said to the serpent, because you've done this, you are cursed more than all cattle. And this word serpent uh, is actually translatable as fiery red dragon. And in fact, in Revelation chapters, Revelation chapter 12, and then also Revelation 20 that we were looking at, it is translated as dragon. So you got serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, right? Mm -hmm. Also the dragon. And in Revelation 12, so the point I'm making here is that fiery red dragon, that serpent, which is on Charles' heraldic achievement, his coat of arms, right here. Which gives Charles, previously as Prince of Wales, his power, throne, and great authority. Prince of the Red Dragon, since the Red Dragon was adopted as the national symbol of the nation of Wales in 1953, and that nation has used it for a long time. Its leaders are Satanists. Wales leaders are those who did this and made made Satan, basically, their national symbol. Well, going with this is that the name of Satan... And 1 Corinthians 15, well, you put the wrong thing here, is death. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. So, when we get into the topic of the Antichrist, Charles, the fourth horseman of the apocalypse, which is who Charles is, this horse is typically translated uh, pale or pale green, but it's actually pale green gray. That's the meaning of the Greek text. Ashen, and that is the precise coloration of this unicorn, which has the body of a horse, you know, cloven hooves like a goat, like the symbol for Satan, you know, and Satan's portrayed as a goat, you know, the uh, man's eyes, human eyes, but the body of a horse, the actual coloration of this unicorn is pale green gray, and you can't see it so easily in um, a CMYK color scheme, like on the uh, printed cover of a book. But let's see here. But if you do it as RGB, you can see it pretty clearly. Yeah. Pale green, gray. Right. The coloration of the unicorn. The background here is white. You can see how different that is. this is, right? Mm-hmm. So this horse, quote unquote, is actually a unicorn, the human eyes, in Revelation 6, 7 to 4, as the body of a horse. And this word horse can be translated legitimately as unicorn, as these other creatures that have bodies like horse, these chimeras. In Greek, so it isn't strictly a horse per se. It can be a Pegasus as well. You know, the word can mean that. But here we're talking about that pale green gray unicorn having a horse's body on Charles Heraldic Achievement. So anyway, this rider, uh, this fourth horseman, his name is Death. And Hades or Hell follows with him. At this point in history, when we get to the Great Tribulation, which is the fourth seal of Revelation 6, summarizes the fourth year, roughly, 
of the seven-year tribulation week leading to Armageddon. When Charles is actually writing here, he'll be possessed by Satan as the son of perdition, which is what we read about in 2 Thessalonians 2. People ask about this restrainer. They think it's the Holy Spirit because they've been falsely taught. You know, people claim that the restrainer here is the Holy Spirit. It's not just a him, it's an it. In the Greek text here, the restrainer, the thing that's restraining, you know, for the general revelation, if you will, of this son of perdition, the man of sin, the son of perdition, the son of destruction, the Antichrist. The restrainer here is this chain on the heraldic achievement on the unicorn, binding it above the compartment containing Satan, the red dragon. In heraldry, this chain is officially called a restrainer. That's literally what it's called. And when it's connected to the compartment here, it's called bound. So this unicorn is bound. It is restrained by this chain that is a restrainer. And this unicorn, having human eyes, represents Charles because it's got this label of the eldest son around its neck. The red dragon represents Charles, has the label of the eldest son around the neck. This lion leopard bear beast represents Charles, has the label of the eldest son around its neck. The overall heraldic achievement or coat of arms has its own head right here. It has around its effective neck the label of the eldest son, meaning this corporate thing all represents Charles. So there's an unofficial version of the heraldic achievement shown inside the book. It's the most prominent one where the chain is loosed. It's unbound. Where the red dragon is touching the compartment, the unicorn lifts its hoof off the compartment and rears back and it's unbound. That's prophetic of this passage in 2 Thessalonians 2 when he's no longer restrained. So the day will come when Charles is possessed by Satan to become this son of destruction, when his personality will actually change and become even more evil than it already is, and he'll be unbound, unrestrained, and where the devil possessing him causes Charles to have this new name, if you will, which is death, the devil's own name, you know, his nature, his name, death. And that's when he becomes the fourth horseman in the apocalypse. So when we talk about ESG, which I know you wanted to talk about, which is an environmental, environment or environmental social governance, this ESG stuff mm. that's being pushed from the top down through the World Economic Forum uh, and now national leaders under the WEF and through entities all over the world. People think it's part of the climate agenda to save Mother Earth, if you will, or Earth climate, or life on Earth, or prevent humanity from destroying itself, right, environmentally, by wiping out the environment of the Earth, making it too damaged or whatever. All of that is a false explanation. If you understand, and I'll explain why it's false in a moment, but if you, if the audience understand that the real goal of Charles and those under him is mass death of mankind globally. The real goal is not to save us, but to kill us. When you understand that, everything they have done and everything that they are doing, including pushing the worship of the devil, who in this context, his name is death, makes complete sense. If you don't understand that, then you see all these contradictory things, meaning their actions and the fruit of their actions don't line up with their words. So, for example, you know, in the 1970s, there was all this climate alarmism and they were warning of a coming new ice age. 
right? They were worried about the environment getting environment getting too cold. And there was all this hysteria around that, that somehow that was going to happen. Maybe mankind was involved with it. Then they switched it to uh, global warming, like Al Gore with his inconvenient truth. And of course, Al Gore is a mother earth worshiper. He's a pagan through and through, despite his claims. He's anti-Christian. He's a pagan. He's a liar. You know, made all these predictions pushing eco-fascism and global warming and climate alarmism in that sense. Years later, when none of his predictions came true, just like none of the uh, the uh, Ice Age predictions came true prior to that, they switched it up and they said, well, we're not going to talk about, you know, Ice Ages or global warming so much anymore. Now it's just going to be climate change because who can argue with that, right? The climate's changing every single day. It changes seasonally. It changes year after year. Who can say that what they're saying isn't true, right? If all they do is push lies in the public, what your own eyes see, what you personally experience in your life, you can't so easily argue with it. So now it's climate change, climate alarmism. And the same answer, though, is coming from them now for decades, which is pushing green energy. And ESG is ostensibly part of that push. You know, they want to rate companies, entities, individuals, governments even, on are they pushing green energy and getting rid of coal, gas, oil, you know, fossil-based energy sources. And, uh, and of course, not pushing safe nuclear energy. And there are safe designs at this point, both fission and upcoming fusion. They could produce the fission stuff right now, today, with existing designs if they were allowed to build this stuff. But they're generally not pushing that. So they have an actual green possibility, if you will, even though it takes time to bring it into place, probably at least a decade if they were doing it globally right now, you know, as quickly as possible which would be nuclear fission-based energy. They're not pushing that, though. What they are pushing instead is elimination of oil, gas, coal, and then uh, moving toward wind, solar, these kinds of things. The problem is, there there are multiple problems. One is, uh, these items are costly, time-consuming, energy-intensive to produce. In the case of solar panels, they're highly polluting. They don't have the battery technology yet to reliably store the energy in off hours, like when the wind isn't blowing or the sun's not shining. So they're unreliable for the grid. Grids will get brownouts and eventually they'll fail if they don't have reliable, steady energy going into the grid the way they're designed with the transformers. That's one issue. It would literally take 30 to 50 years to bring enough quote-unquote green energy online, even if they could produce the batteries and back that up to make it steady on the grid, which they can't yet do. Um, Even if they could do that, it's going to take decades to achieve their vision that they're trying to sell to the public, which they're claiming they want to achieve by 2030, less than seven years from now. That is technically and uh, industrially impossible globally to do if they were being honest with the public or if the public was paying attention the public would realize that the vision that these elitists are selling to them under charles under the world health organization under now even they're getting involved and i'll explain that in a moment in a minute or or two uh under the united nations under the world economic forum etc and then groups like blackrock and vanguard which by the way are heavily tied into the british monarchy not a lot of people know that blackrock and vanguard are uh, but under these entities, they're pushing ESG yeah, and scoring companies to try to peer pressure companies to shame them to 
prevent them from having advertising, you know, that's successful from receiving, you know, from, from spending their advertising dollars to promote themselves. They're trying to harm companies that aren't into ESG with advertising dollars. They are trying to pressure them public through all, publicly through all kinds of peer campaigns to get companies to go along with this ESG agenda to cut down oil, gas, fossil fuels, to move toward green energy sources. Here's the thing. What they're really accomplishing, what their actions are doing, not their words, because they're lying to the public, right? They can't possibly, nobody in the world, even, the whole, even if the whole world were on board with this, it would take decades to achieve their vision. So they cannot achieve what they're claiming they intend to achieve by roughly 2030. So meanwhile, where they're taking things off the grid and not replacing them, such as oil and uh, coal and gas, particularly oil and coal, while they're doing that and destabilizing the grids, you know, nationally and internationally, because it's reducing the steady flow of electricity onto those grids and increasing the demand on the grids by pushing electrification, electrical, electrical cars and so forth, which, by the way, would if if everybody had an electric car just in the United States alone, would more than double the electricity necessary on our current grids, which can't even sustain that amount of electricity, even if we had it to put into the grid. But while they're busy pushing those things, they're actually destabilizing the grid. What they're actually going to achieve is bringing grids down, brownouts in other words. They're going to achieve uh, such a constriction in fossil fuel supplies that diesel trucking, for example, trains even, won't be able to run reliably. When that happens, not only does food production go down, food transportation goes down and eventually it breaks. And when the world realizes what's actually been accomplished in the United States and Europe and elsewhere, uh, in other words, when the food isn't arriving at the grocery store shelves and people realize that transportation has been broken down, so even if the food can be produced, it's not being transported, it isn't transportable anymore. At the point that that realization really starts to take hold in the public, it's already too late to fix things. It, it actually takes several months to years to bring these mothballed facilities back online to start generating again. It takes even longer to bring new facilities online. In other words, by the time the public realizes it's being starved to death, frozen to death, etc., you know, there's more disease when it's cold than when it's hot. So frozen to, frozen to death, etc., disease is increasing, yada, yada. Uh, water pumping even, not reliable at that point. Filtration, not reliable at that point. By the time the public wakes up to these things, it's too late and cities, you know, wherever this is happening, and they're trying to do it globally, will already be turned into kill boxes, meaning death by mass starvation and deprivation, literally, on a mass scale. This is what they're actually trying to achieve from the top down with ESG, and it perfectly dovetails with sexual Satanism, because what does it accomplish in the end? Reduction of human reproduction, reduction of human population. Their goal after they've reduced all the population like that, and they don't want to see the infrastructure destroyed. They want to be able to use that later. They want to take it, steal it, and use it later. Well, I think what King Charles is doing behind the scenes with all these policies and getting corporate, everyone in line and governments, we could definitely see the Satan behind the scenes doing all this. And I'm glad the restrainer is kind of holding this off 
temporarily. I don't think they're going to achieve it by 2030. A lot of the stuff that you said, you know, I think they're trying to get rid of anything that's organic and that comes from the earth and make everything artificial. Like even one battery would take tons and tons of destructive chemicals to be able to just produce one or two, you know, car batteries. And if they're trying to make everything electric and everything power, then they can control where nobody can buy and sell without going through them to figure out what, you know, it's those total enslavement policies that are coming. But, you know, like, well, well, all the stuff they're doing is environmentally destructive. Right. You now, when they produce lithium batteries, and they destroy the surface of the earth, a large portion of the surface area where they're working, just to get some lithium out of the ground, even though there's a lot of lithium. Yeah, it's, it's highly destructive to the environment to mine it. And then when you're talking uh, blades, they last for a period of years, and they're very expensive to reproduce. When we're talking, um, you know, like solar farms and these large blades, they're also highly destructive to wildlife. They have to not only clear the wildlife on the ground to put these things in place, both solar and wind, but birds are being killed. They're constantly flying into these blades, including endangered ones, even eagles. And then when you talk about the solar panels themselves, they're full of toxic chemicals toxic even to us there's no good way presently to recycle them so what do they do they bury them and they produce more and and like i said they can't produce them fast enough but the point is these people don't care about the environment if no. they did they wouldn't be pushing these technologies at all right. at their current state of development they would be finding ways to protect wildlife to protect the environment finding cleaner uh more natural ways to do these things that aren't so destructive to the environment. Their real goal is what I've said, which is to kill mankind. And that's why I brought up the point of Satan's name being death. And likewise, Charles is the Antichrist when he's possessed by the devil being named death. But he already has that nature. He's already a Satan worshiper and a Satanist and an anti-Christian lunatic. And so, and the people under him are being turned into the same thing. They are the same thing. So my point is, you know, and when you talk about the restrainer, it's first of all a symbol, as I pointed out, you know, on his heraldic achievement, his coat of arms, right here, this chain. People like to say picture of the one where it's unrestrained. The yeah, I do, and actually people can see that in my interview with Janie Duvall. She showed a there's a much better, higher quality okay. version of it in the book. But she showed uh, an old black and white reproduction that's kind of broken up, but you can see it well enough. Uh, in that interview with her, and it's on my YouTube channel. I don't have it here to just readily show it to you, uh, unfortunately. But it so is in the book. So, do you think they mm -hmm. did it unofficial? Behind, like, are they trying to eventually release that one as the official one, or? Well, it's it's nearly official. It's the most prominent unofficial version. And what these things, when they're done uh, by actual heralds, that one was, are prophetic. They're not just occult. They're not just biblically uh, described in scripture, but they are prophetic. So what that other heraldic achievement is actually portraying is the future when Charles is possessed by the devil. So right now, this is Charles. He's bound. He's restrained. So the chain, it's symbolic and it's literally called a restrainer. But if you want to go with the argument that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit, which is, for example, what a lot of pre-tribulationists are trying to claim. And pre-tribulationism is a false teaching. But if you want to call it the Holy Spirit, we can argue that there's all kinds of evil that's happened in the world, like what Hitler did, for example, to Israel, right? 
mm-hmm. like what Mao did, murdering tens of millions of Chinese, or Stalin did, you know, 20 million Russians or whatever the number was killed under his programs, uh, you know, besides World War II, you know, lots of people dying under evil individuals, right? The point is God allowed that. Those people were not restrained from doing that evil. But the Holy Spirit was still present on earth, still present in Christians, right? Still operating. If people want to argue that the Holy Spirit is the restrainer, and I'm pointing out that, first of all, it's actually this symbol the restrainer is in 2 Thessalonians 2. That's what it's actually talking about. Mm -hmm. But if you want to go with the Holy Spirit being the restrainer, and that's a fine argument to make also because in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, go back to it. If I were to go to the Greek text, Uh, of this. In fact, let me do that. All right, so if I go to the Greek text here and we find the word that's being translated restrainer, uh, you know, it says that which is restraining, you know, and now that which is restraining, you know, uh, for, and then this Greek word, which looks like to, you know, is used. For to be revealed, if we go and look at the meaning of that Greek word, it's a definite article D. But if you look in these things, uh, this whole thing with the Greek text, you can train, you can translate this as it. You know, when you're talking about what's restraining it or him, either way would be legitimate uh, translations of this Greek text. Uh, for the restrainer. In other words, it's a thing, but it can also be personified you know, as if you wanted to speak of it as being the Holy Spirit. So that's, it's not illegitimate from the Greek text is what I'm saying to say that the restrainer is a hymn, you know, and try to attribute the restraint to the Holy Spirit. Although it is first and foremost an it, this symbol, as I'm pointing out, the Greek can be translated both ways legitimately. But if we go with the idea that it's the Holy Spirit, the fact of the matter is God can be restraining this or that by the Holy Spirit all over the world today in different contexts with the church still being here, right? Mm-hmm. And he has done that throughout history. And there are things that he doesn't restrain, great evil that happens in the world today. You know, like when, Michael the archangel, as some have said, that he's the restrainer. No, that's not a legitimate treatment of uh, Daniel chapter 12. So we go to Daniel 12. Right here. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. nothing in here about Michael restraining. So. Well, there's another passage that says, because uh, on this one it says, when Michael shall stand up. And then there's another passage is that Antichrist is revealed. Wow. Uh, when he stands up or something like that, which I don't remember off the top of my head. Well, that's the passage we were just looking at, actually. Second okay. Thessalonians 2. That's, that's this passage. Uh, I can go back to it. Uh, right here. Okay. So, the Antichrist and the devil are not going to be restrained when we get to the midpoint of the Tribulation Week and Charles is possessed by the devil so that his name becomes right. death. You know, when the devil and the Antichrist merge, in other words, where the Antichrist 
is possessed by Satan. Satan enters him. And that's going to happen. So, And this is also talking about the great apostasy, which is relevant only to Christians, as no longer being for God, right? So do you think all this satanic worship is actually leading to the great apostasy? I believe it's here. Yeah. And that's a point that I made, uh, and I have made in interviews with this issue of Charles being over the Anglican Protestant Church, right? Not only has that church, that communion, had archbishops appointed by the British monarchy for decades and decades, you know, who have all, to a man, been apostates or heretics outright. And I actually document that in the second edition of the Antichrist Captain. And I went into some of that in the first edition, but of course we've had multiple archbishops of Canterbury, for example, uh, and other archbishops appointed by the British monarchy since the first edition of the Antichrist and Cup of Tea came out in uh, 1998. You know, so here in the second edition, not that one, that's the first. Oh, sorry, let me go backwards here till I get to it. Yeah. So here in the second edition, I go into those individuals, you know, a number of whom have been into uh, sexual Satanism or promotion of Druidry or different things. And Neo-Druidry is a form of actual Satanic worship. So like Ron Williams was into uh, Druidry, Neo-Druidry in Wales and so on. But the point is, um, these people, these archbishops over the Anglican Communion had been heretics for quite a while appointed by the British monarchy. And today, you have Charles, who's now become King of England, and about to be formally crowned, you know, or coronated, people will argue with the word that should be used, but crowned uh, as King May 6th this year, right? Mm-hmm. And to become the titular head on earth in a more formal sense, he already is, as far as the Anglican communion is concerned, but and more formally, to become the titular head on earth of the Anglican Protestant Communion. How is it, Seema, that uh, the bishops, archbishops, all the leaders, all the elders in the Anglican Communion globally aren't crying out for Charles to be deposed and removed from their leadership? And for the, the archbishops appointed under the British monarchy, who are heretics and apostates, to be removed. The only way for them not to be crying out on all that and demanding it and leaving the Anglican Communion if that doesn't happen, uh, you know, and speaking out in one voice against the sexual Satanism being pushed from various leaders in that communion, the only way for those things not to be occurring is for there to be great apostasy and falling away already in that communion. And what we're reading about here in 2 Thessalonians 2 is an even greater apostasy than that and increase it on it in it right so let me ask you this question that a lot of people have been asking over and over and over why would people or fall for king charles and follow him when most people don't even like him as meaning the general public not the politicians or the government but just you know it in the book of Revelation, it talks about people following the beast and worshiping him. Why would the general public would want to do that if he is the Antichrist? Let me uh, put it a different way. Why did so many people thank their doctors for the jabs in the last three years? Right, yeah. The truth is the public is ill-educated, ill-informed, misled by actual fake news and fake media. and 
people sold out to the devil and to their institutions under the devil. And so the public is literally gullible sheep in many cases. And when we look at what the public thinks about Charles, there are all these false impressions. And one doesn't have to look very closely at Charles to recognize just how false those impressions are. You know, he's given hundreds and hundreds of speeches publicly over the decades. Somebody could go and read, you know, randomly pick half a dozen of them, and they'll see that he's one of the greatest orators of our time and has been for decades. He is not at all how he's been publicly portrayed. But even ignoring all of that, one can look at all the evidence of what he's actually over and the globalist submission to him behind the scenes. So, for example, everybody pretty much at this point has heard of the Great Reset, right? Mm-hmm. Which is another euphemism for the New World Order. It's basically the actualization of the New World Order on the ground. And when people look at that phrase, the Great Reset, they can see, if they're paying even a little bit of attention, how it's already affected the whole world and how the green agenda is being pushed as part of the Great Great Reset, how digital IDs are now being pushed as part of the Great Reset, how transhumanism is now being pushed, you know, pushed as part of the Great Reset, how uh, the promotion of sexual Satanism is being pushed as part of the Great Reset, how ESG is all under the so-called Great Reset, right? And they can look at Klaus Schwab, who wrote a book by that title and included COVID in it. And the stated, publicly stated goals of the WEF, which are basically aligned with the latest version of Agenda 20 this or 20 that, now 2030. Uh, All of that being done, in fact, under Charles, it was Charles personally who announced the Great Reset to the world from the WEF. He did that months before anybody ever heard Klaus Schwab, the founder and head of the WEF, mention the phrase or publish his book. The Great Reset, the actualization of the New World Order, is actually Charles' personal agenda. And it's being actualized under him. And Klaus Schwab works for him. Klaus Schwab is one of Charles' knights. But He's a knight of the British that, monarchy. Everything that he said about the Great Reset and Karl Schwab and all those people, they're just scaring the public into slavery no they're, they're serious huh? they don't care what this is my point to you you ask the question of how would the public follow him yeah my response is nobody cares mm-hmm. at the top the public doesn't have to follow him they're doing this without the public they ah. don't care what the public thinks to so hell with the public is just... literally what they think so they're, they're doing just... it regardless eventually just forcing everybody into compliance basically right and they already are yeah. The public just hasn't awakened to it yet. So when they're pushing the green agenda, they are forcing the public into compliance already. Like when you have, for example, Gavin Newsom in California, right? Saying that, I don't know, I think the date he gave was 2035. No more gas vehicles sold that are new in California at that point, legally under the law. Wanting to force people into all of that. And then within a week, having to tell the few people who already have electric vehicles in California, by the way, don't pug. Please don't plug into the grid during the daytime because we're we're at risk of brownouts because the grid can't handle it. Yeah. <laughs> this is sheer idiocy. And the public is going along with idiots like him and liars like him, not realizing that these people are not just idiots and liars. They're Satanists pushing the mass death of the public. They don't yet realize that. And by the time they do realize it, it's going to be too late to stop them. And it isn't just Gavin Newsom. It's Justin Trudeau. It's all kinds of world leaders under Charles 
not just through the WEF, but through the UN. So let's talk briefly, briefly about other things under Charles, how this is being done. So the World Health Organization, they're now pushing this pandemic treaty and Biden is intent on signing it, bypassing U.S. treaty laws to do it because he's a lawless man, a traitor, a domestic enemy, etc. Uh, another cog in Satan's wheel under Charles. Uh, but Biden is associated with WEF. Xi Jinping, China's Communist Party leader, is under the WEF and been participating in it. Vladimir Putin, Russia's leader, under the WEF, a participant in it. All of them participants in the United Nations as well, and in the WHO. So the WHO wants 197 world leaders, basically, of nations to sign on to their global pandemic treaty, turning over uh, the ability to declare a pandemic and how it's handled nationally around the world to the World Health Organization, which is a euphemism. The World Health Organization is actually a private entity and associated with the United Nations. It's another public-private partnership. And the UN itself, the United Nations, is built upon public-private partnerships. All of that is being done under the British monarchy and under Charles. So in the case of the World Health Organization, they're not looking only at physical health, human health uh, criteria for declaring a pandemic in the future if this, this effort of theirs goes through to annul, undermine, take control of national governments and, and implement laws in a tyrannical fashion. They're looking at um, um, earth-level environmental health pandemics. In other words, they could say something's bad for the earth and declare a pandemic that has nothing to do with human beings. Well, they're already trying yeah. to come up with carbon tax on people. Well, that's, yeah, that's all under Charles. People think yeah. it's under Al Gore. It isn't. But, but my point is they could call climate change a global health emergency. And on that basis, through the World Health Organization, if this thing goes through, they're trying to do, implement not only a national ID, but the actual mark of the beast globally. Right. All under Charles. How is it under Charles? Well, who funds the World Health Organization? China does. The CCP, the Communist Chi the Chinese Communist Party. No, Bill Gates. Yes, but all of that actually I, uh, lifted up, and it was Bill Gates was number one or two, and the U.S. government. The U.S. government had pulled it. China. Under, yeah, the U.S. government had pulled that funding under Trump. Biden restored some of it. Yeah. But the major funders are the Chinese Communist Party and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation under Bill Gates. Bill Gates is a knight of Charles, just like Klaus Schwab. Right. In other words, it's Charles who's over the World Health Organization as well. It's Charles who's over the WEF through Klaus Schwab and other means. It's Charles who's over the United Nations. How is he over the UN? I told you it's built on public-private partnerships. The United Nations came out of the League of Nations, historically. The League of Nations itself, for the most part, by and large, came out of the Royal Institute of International Affairs, otherwise known as Chatham House, in London, England. The head of Chatham House, or the Royal Institute of International Affairs, for, for decades now, has been Charles. So, so my point is... These things are all ultimately under Charles, even the whole Mideast peace process. And the reason I'm going there on all of this is when we look at all these agendas seeming to come from so many directions today, all this ESG stuff, all this push for green energy, all this 
pandemic stuff, all this push for digital IDs. And I'll mention one other thing on digital IDs here. The new prime minister of the United Kingdom under Charles, his father-in-law, and he married into great wealth, this prime minister did, through his wife. His father-in-law uh, is a major founder of Infosys. Infosys is one of the major companies in the world developing and pushing digital IDs and CBDC, central bank digital currencies, yeah. or programmable currencies. The f in the first week that this prime minister was in office under Charles, he met with the G20 and he pushed to both the G20 and the UK public and the European public and the global public CBDCs in his first week in office. This whole push for digital IDs under the World Economic Forum and these companies, etc., all being driven under Charles. So in other words, the mark of the beast is ultimately being driven as well under Charles. What's coming is the mark of the beast. And it isn't just a digital ID. As I point out in an upcoming book uh, called The Mark of the Beast, and even in a small chapter on the topic in the first edition of the Antichrist, a cup of tea, UPC and EAN barcodes throughout the world, which have been used for multiple decades now, all have three sixes in them on either end and in the middle, 666. All of them do. So, and the mark of the beast, the actual biblical mark of the beast. Let me just go to that for a minute and then I'll come up for air here. And in, um, I think it's that chapter or the one where they're talking about the mark of the beast. So, what about the false prophet? Like, ultimately, this ties into a spiritual worship. And maybe it's the new religion or a com combined religion. I don't know. But isn't the whole idea of the false prophet is that is pushing the whole world into worshiping the first beast, which I'm imagining this is King Charles, right? And well, Charles is the first beast. And people right. ask, well, if he's the Antichrist, the one who's going to be, a, and there are lots of Antichrists, right? Historically, there are multiple, multiple Antichrists today. The first three horsemen of the apocalypse. At least two of the three are antichrist. One is a spirit, at least a demonic spirit, and that's the third horseman. And I go into that in uh, other presentations I've given, other books I have out and coming. But when we talk about the fourth horseman, the antichrist is going to be over a global government for three and a half years throughout the Great Tribulation. The one is going to be possessed by by Satan himself and called death. That's Charles, and he is the first beast of this chapter. And as we described in our earlier interview. You know, he's the one that has you know, that beast, that heraldic achievement on his coat of arms, as described at the beginning of Revelation 13. Beast with feet like a bear, body like a leopard, mouth like the mouth of a lion, to whom the dragon, this fiery red dragon of Revelation 12, gives his power, throne, and great authority. In other words, Satan does that. You know, and this says, I, the black prince, serve Satan. That's how this literally reads on the heraldic achievement. You read it like a book in heraldry. So that's all described in the book, in the Antichrist Cup T here, but... This literally says, I, the black prince, which can be read also as the black one or the prince of darkness, serves Satan. So that's who Charles is. He is to be the rider of that pale green gray horse, or in this case, unicorn, of that fourth seal of the apocalypse to be possessed by, death, by the devil. But that being said, he is the first beast of Revelation 13, which so has that image. The second beast that will require everybody worshiping his image okay so the second beast not the first one the second one is the one who does ostensible miracles and that's one thing that confuses people so when you read about this second one in revelation 13 it says that he has power right to give breath to the image mm 
Mm-hmm. You know, that it should both speak and cause as many as would were not would not worship the image of the beast, and that's an image to this first beast, Charles, should be killed, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I believe, let me see here, yeah, that he even makes fire come down out of heaven on the earth in the sight of men, this, this second beast, right? Performs great signs. Right. Now, I do say a lot about this in my books. Not just in the Antichrist and the Cup Tea. So I have a whole volume in my upcoming Messiah History in the Tribulation Period series that talks about uh, the book of the Revelation, the Apocalypse. So if I go to that, just so people can see the title of it, uh, the Messiah History in the Tribulation Period series on Prophecy House's site, prophecyhouse.com. There's a whole volume titled The Real Rapture and Other Prophetic Mysteries, uh, if I can highlight it or not, Understanding you know, the Revelation right here. The fifth volume in that upcoming series, Messiah History and the Tribulation Period. In that volume, I talk about this prophecy on the second beast, the beast out of the earth, which is the false prophet. Okay, so the first one is the Antichrist will be over global government. The second one is this false prophet who works in tandem under the devil with the Antichrist, the Antichrist being Charles. You know, the false prophet is another antichrist, but in this case, his role is to act as a prophet to do these signs and wonders to get the world to follow after this first beast, Charles, when he's possessed by the devil, and to worship him when he's possessed by the devil. At any rate, when we talk about these miracles and, you know, for example, giving breath to the image of the beast, mm-hmm. among the things that I point out is this word breath actually means vibration of air. In the Greek text, it's exactly what modern speaker technology does. It vibrates airs with an electromagnetically controlled cone. So you hear sound and you perceive speech, right? Like me talking right now, you hear it over a speaker. Um, that's all by vibrating a cone, you know, to produce sound with an electromagnetic uh, wave. And so this thing. Yeah, it could be a demon or an entity possessing some idol and talking, but it could just as easily be voice synthesis in connection with this idol. That's well, the point I that I want to make. An AI that's given life and breath to think and speak as if it has some authority and power. It could be an AI. What's more likely, however, is a hologram of Charles or even the statue to him, the idol made to Charles that's going to go on the Temple Mount, which already exists, as I pointed out in our prior interview, this thing right here. This winged God statue, which has Charles' face and calls him Savior of the world on its base and shows him as an angelic figure dressed only in a loincloth standing atop a mass of human bodies. That idol is going to go on the Temple Mount. They could put a speaker with that, with a message of the day from Charles, with him talking, you know, next to it or something. There are all kinds of ways, in other words, that this prophecy could be fulfilled. It could be a hologram of Charles speaking in conjunction with that. So my point is, we'll have to wait to see how it's actually fulfilled. It could be fulfilled in multiple ways. So for example, this heraldic achievement of Charles that's on the front cover of the Antichrist of Kepati, if you were to go to the United Kingdom, even today, I imagine, but certainly while Elizabeth II was still alive just months ago, and looked at the goods bought and sold throughout the United Kingdom, on many of them, you know, like at the grocery store, you would have seen Elizabeth II's, and a lot of people mistake it for the United Kingdom's 
heraldic achievement. They're almost synonymous. You know, while she was alive decade after decade, you'd see her heraldic achievement, which does not have the red dragon, which has a normal lion leopard or lion for England on it. You know, not like this heraldic achievement, but it looks somewhat similar. You've seen that all over, all over goods bought and sold. For example, on the cardboard packaging of cereal boxes or whatever in the United Kingdom. If one day in the future, when Charles possessed, he's possessed by the devil, you know, you could see his heraldic achievement on goods bought and sold, on idols associated with him, on other things associated with him, not just in the United Kingdom, but potentially in a variety of places around the world. And you could have voice synthesis associated with that. In fact, 30 years ago, almost, you could go into a King Supers or a Kroger or a Safeway, for example, here in the United States, and have purchased something where they would scan the UPC or EAN barcode on it, right? The mark of the beast, because that's what that actually is. It's just not on the forehead or the hand yet. They're not requiring you that, to have that physically on your body to buy or sell yet. You could have gone into a store with some item off a shelf. They could have scanned it right there at their scanner. And if they had simply turned up the volume, SEMA, you would have heard the register itself read out what you'd bought or sold with voice synthesis. Something like that today it also could have a message from Charles. I'm saying it could have the message from Charles. It could even have his coat of arms, this heraldic achievement associated with it. It could have that statue I showed associated with it. It could have some other and version. Of an I think it's all like low-tech technology. We might be able to see more, but it also says that don't people that don't worship him uh, will be instantly killed. So I don't know. No, I it says no. That's not what it says. It says that that there will be an effort to behead them. And isn't there somewhere is it where those that do not worship the image will be killed? Yeah, it's right there. Though, uh, if you go down. It says, cause many that would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. So how With would, a sword, right. And if we go to the next chapter. It doesn't say with a sword. It's uh, 15, verse 15, maybe. If we go down a little. Um, I think yeah, it was to be killed. You know, but Muslims, you know, they'll use a sword or a short knife, something that looks a bit like a sword. Uh, it's a particular kind of sword uh, that's talking about in the Greek, but it can be a regular sword. How, a, how would the anti cut off heads? No, that killing people are fashion. not worshiping him. Like, let's just say you're in your home or wherever. How would it know that you, that you know that people will not worship worship him unless it's tied to somehow where their information is being relayed to you know electronically somewhere. So this well, is Well, that's you know, I don't I don't think that's necessary. First of all, if people don't have the mark of the beast and they can't right. participate in the system, many will die from deprivation if they haven't prepared yeah. in advance. Those who are not, you know, uh who are known to be Christians, we've seen Muslims around the world, and not just Muslims, but others, including Hindus, etc., murder Christians, and that is on the rise. Around right. the world, you see that group ISIS, that group of terrorists, Islamic State, they call themselves or ISIS, that caliphate that they had tried to create there in the Middle East, uh, and which has been largely beaten back, but it still exists. Uh, openly beheading Christians, cutting their heads off on beaches and other places, murdering them publicly, right, with knives or swords. 
you're going to see a combination of ways in which those who reject the mark of the beast, you know, especially Christians, but those who reject the mark of the beast being openly murdered or killed by deprivation or in other ways. And one of the points that I wanted to bring up, you know, they want to try to do this initially through collapsing the energy systems and so forth, this depopulation effort. That is not going to succeed. You know, enough people are waking up at this point, you know, realizing enough of what's happening to reject the jabs, to reject ESG, to reject the green so-called revolution, realizing it's a facade, to reject the effort to reject artificial fertilizers, which are necessary to feed the world. Much of the world's food production relies upon artificial fertilizer and cannot be replaced, cannot be replaced. It's not possible to replace it with natural fertilizer. There isn't enough natural fertilizer in the world, in existence, in production from the existing animals in the world to actually replace the artificial fertilizer that's used that you know is necessary to produce between, depending on the, the crop, somewhere between 20 and 70% of that crop to feed the world. So, that being said, enough of the public is waking up to these things and rejecting these agendas. So how will they do things next? Overtly through actual global warfare, where people are being murdered and killed in warfare and killed of deprivation and starvation by other means. You know, the complete breakdown of everything, in other words. Yeah, and, uh, so like that's coming in World War III. Trying to push on the nuclear war theme lately. They're trying to openly start <clears throat> a war. But, you know, I view this entire decade as a decade of death, that they've been trying very, very hard to kill off as many as they can. And like you said, I don't think they'll succeed in the way that they planned. But eventually, they're going to have to succeed. And I think that's why they're going to come close and institute that mark of the beast, because somehow they would have figured out that those, then they will given the authority to outright just kill people if they reject the mark where now they're trying to do it covertly without yeah, what i'm coming. saying is there are people who will outright kill folks right who don't yeah. take the mark of the beast but there are a lot more who realize they don't have to do that you know the folks without that mark will just die and you know in many cases from lack of preparation others you know they'll try to come and and get the goods they need without taking the mark and they may be killed but the point is um we're only at the beginning stages of this, and you know it's been underway for years now in terms of this global death agenda. But we're at the beginning stages, and it's about to get much, much worse very, very quickly. And so, the point I want to make in all of it is that you know at the top of this program, we were looking at this idea of sexual Satanism and how they're promoting that globally and promoting the worship of the devil and so forth, bringing it right out into the open, putting it in everyone's faces. Yeah. yeah. Well, while uh, gaslighting the public, if anybody says anything anything to them about it, well, it's just entertainment or this kind of thing, right? But it's so, so over the top now. Like I grew up here, you know, forty years ago. I could see the progression of what it used to be, and now where it's at. It is so over the top, even though the symbolism was always there. But, you know, like you could watch Gilligan Island, you probably would not have think that any of that was satanic. 
But now we don't have shows well, like that. In well, I would have. There was, you know, it was all a, the gradual boil of the frog, if you will, the yeah. society being the frog, has been underway even since the time of Gilligan's Island. They had plenty of voodoo stuff and oh, yeah. voodoo stuff and other occult things that they just made fun of. Right. But they treated it semi seriously in that television series as well. So the point is, you know, when I look at the military, for example, when I served, uh, if somebody was coming out in the open as a transgender or a sodomite or homosexual and in any way pushing that or that kind of thing, they'd have been drummed out of the military, maybe even tried under the uh, the Uniform Code of Military Justice, the UCMJ, right? Court-martialed, potentially. Today, if you speak out against sexual Satanism, such as so-called transgenderism in the military, that is the thing that might get you drummed out of the military and ruin your career, you know, if you're yeah, not drummed out. So... It's so the sexuality that's under attack, no matter how many different ways they want to pervert it. But that's essentially what it is, that you're no longer allowed to be the heterosexual, normative, nuclear family, you know, any sort of imagery of that. It's always now something else. Well, the more they can make the public a bunch of brain-dead idiots, if you will, meaning unthinking idiots, Meaning people who will just go along with the agendas without questioning those agendas because either there's too much peer pressure if they question it or they've just given up on questioning it or they actually believe it, right? Or they simply accept it or they're neutral toward it rather than against it. The more they can get the public into one of those categories, the easier it is to bring about open satanic worship throughout societies. The easier it is to commit mass genocide and not have a lot of pushback against that like what Hitler did you know, to Israel and to gypsies and to others during World War II, but to turn it into a global phenomenon. And so, and for that matter, to turn the military against the public, right? When you get a, a military that is no longer upholding the U.S. Constitution, and ours clearly is not, or Biden would have already been deposed, and I'm serious when I say that, our military at the top is not defending the U.S. Constitution as it swore to do. It is violating its oaths left and right because Biden is openly a Chinese puppet and a traitor and a Manchurian candidate. Nobody can question that if they're honest with the evidence that's been available, even since he was running for office as president. Uh, but all that's been covered up by the media, uh, by our military leaders, the ones at the top, well, the ones who should be speaking weird. out against this. Yeah, it's weakening America to take it over from within and also make it easier if they're going to have any foreign invaders just come in well, and do whatever they well, want at that point. Yes, and my point is when you have a military leadership, which we already have, that is violating its constitutional oaths and not upholding those oaths because the leaders care more about their careers or they've sold out to the devil or they believe the sexual Satanism agenda or whatever their reasons are, when they're a bunch of weak-kneed cowards. You know, and two-faced liars, which is what we have running our military today, by and large. And the and there are people who are against these agendas in the military. I know some officers at the top personally who are still serving, who are against it, but they won't publicly come out against it the way that they need to to throw it off, to stop it for for reasons of cowardice. And and I will openly say they're cowards. So that being said, uh, because they fear for their careers, they fear, you know, whatever. If they were to lead by example, you'd have a lot more people in the military coming out against it and eventually it could be stopped. But because they're not doing that, 
that tells us a few things. One is the military is already lost in this country. Two is when you have such a military, it's a very short step to turn them against the U.S. public and use them domestically, which we're not supposed to be able to do under our U.S. Constitution. Right. And to turn the U.S. into a complete tyrannical dictatorship. It's a very short step to turn the United States into a forthright Nazi Germany type state nation. Yeah, I mean, as soon as they don't have God in their heart, it's easy to kill. And it's easy to get people, the masses, to even go along with the killing. So that's kind of what I see is going to happen very, very soon. That the death is glorified and people are not, I mean, even if the ones that say they're Christian, I, I do see the apostasy happening right now because they're allowing all of this to happen. And it's like, you know, they're not willing to give up their jobs. They're not willing to give up anything to make those changes. So that means it's only going to accelerate. And I feel like by the time we get to 2030, if many of us do, it's going to be a start of something horrific. Because they're, they, well, and they themselves the, in the uh, United Nations, they said they are accelerating Agenda 2030 because of what happened in 2020. So we're on a fast track. And the other thing I, I think many people are asking the same question too is because King Charles is like what in his uh, early to late 70s now, right? He so, was born six months after Israel was founded as a nation. So if you realize that Israel was founded May 14th, 1948, the modern nation state of Israel, six months later, November 14th, 1948 is when Charles was born. So about 70-something? Um, yeah. So do you think because of his age and, you know, if he's going to rise to power where everybody's going to know this, not behind the scenes as is going on right now, then he would have to do it pretty much in the next decade, don't you think? Well, first of all, his parents lived to be more than 20 years older each than his current age. Yeah. His mother reigned for, you know, I think, roughly well i want to say 22 years don't don't quote me on that but more than two decades longer than his current age she was on the throne so yes it needs to happen soon from that perspective but it doesn't have to be immediate secondly there are people who try to say well charles can't be the antichrist because he's too old and christ was 30 when he was in ministry and the antichrist is going to be a similar age when he you know takes control over a global government those are all false claims so the first thing is we don't know that Christ was 30 when he began his ministry. What the scripture actually says is he was about 30. That's how it's typically translated in the English. But the Greek text, the word translated as about, actually means as if. The literal translation is he began his ministry as if 30. And that gives a completely different meaning to the passage. In other words, typically people began their ministry you know, at 30 years of age. But the point in terms of Christ is he wasn't 30, and they knew he wasn't 30. But this is when he began his ministry. So they were saying, Luke was saying, he was starting his ministry as if he were, you know, it was Luke or John, I forget now um, which gospel it was. Maybe it was John, but as if he were 30. And then there's another verse where they, they said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, right? They didn't say you're not yet 40. Right? They said, you're not yet 50. So they understood when they said that, that to him that he was older, most likely, when we read the text, if we're reading it accurately, 
that he was most likely in his 40s and not yet 50 at the time they said that to him. So the first thing is, we don't actually know exactly how old Christ was, but there's a good chance biblically that he was already in his 40s when he was active in his ministry. And then there's nothing in Scripture that requires the Antichrist to be the same or similar age. So that argument goes out the window. Charles is not too old. We can see that from the age of his parents. Thirdly, yes, it does happen to happen. It does need to happen soon. And we can make that argument from a completely different perspective, which is from the perspective of biblical chronology. So the millennial kingdom itself, scripturally, starts at the end of the year 6000. And I have a complete volume on biblical chronology in my upcoming Messiah History in the Tribulation Period series, where I show that we're nearing the year 6000 scripturally now. So when people look, for example, at the years Israel's rabbis are claiming 57, this or that, that claim is off by more than 200 years, more than two centuries. And you can demonstrate biblically that we're nearing the year 6000 now. What that means is that we're nearing the start of Christ's thousand-year reign now. And what that means is the seven-year tribulation week has to happen really, really soon. So if we're not already in it, it's about to begin really, really soon. So Charles' age and then that factor, all of it suggests that we're really close if we're not already in the tribulation week. We're really close to starting. The third point I'll make is that Charles is already in control of the world. He has been for decades. Ever since his investiture in July 1969, when he became Prince of Wales or Prince of the Red Dragon, with that red dragon symbolizing Satan having already been adopted as the national symbol of Wales, so Charles became Satan's prince, if you will. Ever since that event, which was the most widely viewed event in the history of the world at the time, an estimated television audience of 500 million plus, rivaled at that time only by our landing on the moon in the same month, only by the Apollo program, Ever since that event, Charles has been running the world behind the scenes. He's been over things. And that's documented. That's not speculation. I document that in the Antichrist and the Cup of Tea, such as through the United Nations, such as through now the World Economic Forum, such as through the World Health Organizations, but actually through a whole bunch of other entities documented in this book, including in the first edition. We don't yet have the global government. That is yet to come when the power will be even more consolidated under him. But my point is, he's already running things, and he has been for quite a while. So let me so, ask you this mm -hmm. one more question, uh, and then we'll probably uh, close this out. It's already uh -huh. almost two hours. Um, so one of the questions that I thought about many times, because Israel is the point of the whole Bible, right? And so, and the coming of the Antichrist, it's their Messiah that they're waiting for, and the fact that they rejected Christ as their true Messiah. And so how is Israel going to be involved in worshiping the monarchy, King Charles, as their Messiah, if that's, you know, what you're really saying? Yeah, boy, I'm glad you asked that. Um... I'll make one other point briefly before I answer that. Another thing that people object to with regard to Charles, they'll say, well, he's not a homosexual, right? Mm -hmm. They think the Antichrist has to be a homosexual. That's another false teaching, and it's based on Daniel chapter 11, verse 37, which is a prophecy talking about the king of the north. So the first issue on that is people conflate the king of the north 
with the Antichrist is going to be over a global government. In fact, they're two different individuals, historically and in the modern day. And I point that out, um, pardon me, yeah, in this Messiah History in the Tribulation Period series, where I deal with biblical history in this. So I point that out in here. That being said, Charles is a sodomite. He is a bisexual. He is, per eyewitness testimony and actual people involved in it, uh, someone who has engaged in homosexual relations over the decades. And that's brought out in a number of his biographies, which have been published by others. And I cite those, some of them, in the Antichrist and the Cup of Tea, even in the first edition. So, even if people want to argue that that verse in Daniel 11 is about the Antichrist, and that he has to be a homosexual, which is, first of all, it's not about the Antichrist, that verse, and it's not a correct interpretation either of that verse. The desire of women is actually a title of the Messiah and the Zodiac, and it goes back to Genesis 3.15, where women of antiquity desired to be that virgin, that woman who would bear the Messiah, who would give birth to him, the promised seed, who would crush the devil's head. He was known as, in the Zodiac and in prophecy outside scripture, as the desire of women. So Daniel 11.37 is saying that that king of the north does not regard the Messiah that's what it's really saying. It's not saying that the king of the north is a homosexual. And again, that prophecy isn't about Charles. But that being said, Charles does not regard the real Messiah. He's a Satanist in reality. He is a bisexual, a sodomite, a homosexual, besides being uh, interested in women. Those being said, now let me answer your specific questions on uh, Israel. So Elizabeth II, his mother was officially coronated queen of thy people Israel, quote-unquote. And on her official lineage chart, which is offered through Prophecy House, and it was published in London, so you can get it, folks. You can actually get it from Prophecy House with the book, with the second edition, the Antichrist and the Cup of Tea. On that chart, it makes explicit the claims of the British monarchy to sit upon King David's throne. So she was coronated queen of thy people Israel, quote-unquote, and at the top of that chart, on the right-hand side, it says, uh, the royal line of King David, you know, the house of Israel, they're explicitly making these claims. It's been announced in Israel on national television more than once, even before the first edition of the Antichrist and Captivity was published in 1998, that Charles is a descendant of King David. That announcement hasn't been made for anyone else, even though it's true also of his sons, for example. It's true of you know, that claim, in other words. I'm not saying the claim itself is true. I'm saying that the claim could be made in the same way it's been made for Charles of certain other royalty in the world, including his sons. But it's only been announced for Charles publicly in Israel, so far as I know. Charles is going to be crowned on May 6th this year, but he's also going to be anointed with oil. And that oil has come from the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. In fact, it was prepared in Jerusalem, oil from the Mount of Olives in Israel. And that is what they're going to use to anoint him. So, I would be unsurprised if on May 6th, when he is crowned and anointed with that oil, they don't proclaim him king of Israel. That's my first point. On this same lineage chart, it shows that the British monarchy, in this case Charles, goes back to the crusader kings who conquered Jerusalem. You know, from the Muslims, historically. The title of those crusader kings when they conquered Jerusalem, whoever the crusader king was at the time who was in control of Jerusalem, 
he was actually given the title King of Jerusalem. And that title goes through the Habsburg dynasty. So if it isn't made, for example, for Otto von Habsburg or whoever is descended is now, it could be made for Charles because he's got the same lineage. So not only could he be king, you know, crowned king of Israel, he could be crowned king of Jerusalem and called that you know, at his crowning then on May 6th or later. But that's a formal claim of the British monarchy, and he's going to be anointed with oil from the Mount of Olives. So the first point I'll make is this guy who has all the imagery of the first beast as the foretold Antichrist of Revelation 13, and who also, his title, Charles Prince of Wales, by which he's been known globally, pardon me, for decades, uh, calculates precisely 666 in both English and Hebrew, the same title, Charles Prince of Wales, or Nasik Charles of Wales. And this here is a page from the first edition of the Antichrist of Kepti, showing these calculations with the Greek system used in the underlying Greek text. Well, what happens so the when he's is, no longer the prince and he's now the king? Would that still work out? It no longer matters. And here's why it doesn't matter. Um, let me go back to scripture here. Yeah. So if we go to the Greek text here of Revelation 13, 18, where it tells us to do the calculation and identifies this system that's been used for the calculation. In other words, the Greek text actually identifies this specific system to do the calculation, and I go into even more detail on that in the uh, second edition of the Antichrist and the Cup of Tea, the one now offered through Prophecy House. But this prophecy where we're told to do the calculation to identify this first beast who has the imagery that is on Charles' heraldic achievement, which is unique to him under international law and unique to him in all history, this prophecy where it tells us to do the calculation to identify the man who is going to be the Antichrist, you know, over the global government, who's going to be possessed by the devil and worshipped and so forth, you know, whose name is going to be death per Revelation 6, that fourth horseman, this prophecy is already fulfilled. It's been fulfilled for decades. The calculation was done decades ago, and it's been available in my book for decades. In other words, we already know who the Antichrist is. This verse is already fulfilled. It no longer matters what his name or title is. He's already been identified as the Antichrist, unambiguously, biblically. He could be called anything at this point, and it doesn't matter. And secondly, I'll point out that William, you know, who's now the Prince of Wales, William Prince of Wales, his name and title do not work out to 666, and in fact, he has no name or title, contrived or otherwise, that on this biblical numbering system can work out to 666. Only Charles has ever had that, and Charles has it in more than one language, which mathematically is impossible. Statistically, it can't happen. In the whole age of the universe, you know that macro-evolutionists claim? It can't happen mathematically, but here it is. You're looking at it. It's a fact. And when you combine that with the imagery on Charles' heraldic achievement, which also is unique to him, it concretely identifies him as the Antichrist. And if we knew nothing else about Charles except for this name calculation, and um, pardon me, let me go back to it, this imagery, that would be the that would be all that we would need to know as Christians to say. Provably certifiably, he is the Antichrist who's going to be over global government. But on top of that, we have the statue, the idol that's going to be placed atop the temp temple mount, already exists. 
We have the voice synthesis technology today. We have the biblical chronology saying that the Antichrist must be alive in the world today somewhere. So my question to people is, if it's not Charles, show me who it is who has evidence like this. There is no one else. They might point to Barack Obama or Trump or any number of other people that they might claim Elon Musk. None of them have this kind of evidence. Well, you know, the, strongest, the strongest evidence that I see to support your work is the fact that he's controlling all of the governments, all of the policies right now, where no other man is even close to that. Not Trump, not Elon, none of those people. And anyone who has that much power to get all the government official and nations to change their traditional cultures and values to go along with all the stuff that's been happening. And the other thing that you mentioned was that, you know, he may or may not be homosexual, even if you say he is. The fact is that all that rainbow agenda is against women. It's hatred of women that is being pushed worldwide to be the new norm. So I think all of those, if those policies are coming directly from him, he's already fulfilled scripture in that sense. You know, so I, the only concerns is, you know, like waiting for this technology to catch up as far as like the mark. I don't, yeah, I don't think there's any catching up to do, Seema. They could put yeah. the mark of the beast today. And I'm not saying there won't be more to it when it's implemented. I think there will. But they could put a barcode tattoo on your body today that's permanent ink, like a tattoo, uh, that you'd have to have some sort of, you know, significant procedure to remove. They could put a barcode tattoo on you today that's, ink that's not visible to the naked eye, which current grocery scanners around the world could read today. Well, let me ask you And they you could this. tie that, well, hang on, they could tie that to your bank account if they wanted to, right? rather than a credit card or whatever. They could tie it into the financial system fairly easily today, and voila, instantly overnight, you have the mark of the beast. That being said, they're pushing digital IDs, they're pushing chips, which can have, and I talk about this in my upcoming book on the mark of the beast, There's, I have another book coming. On the Mark of the Beast, which deals with other things related to all of this, where they could put a barcode tattoo, or they could put this statue, or they could put Charles Rowland achievements on the front cover of the Antichrist Captivity. They could literally engrave that on a chip, an integrated circuit chip, that they might be able to scan, like a radio frequency ID chip, that they could embed in your hand or your forehead. They could actually put the actual Mark of the Beast, which is a barcode-like tattoo, and I'll, I'll explain that in a moment. Or Charles Heraldic Achievement, which is the image of that first beast, they can engrave it on the circuitry of that chip and stick it in your body, and you'd never know unless you looked at that chip under an electron microscope. And they do put coats of arms and imagery on chips. Engineers do that. They've been doing it for decades without telling the public. And unless they disclose where that thing is and show it to you under an electron microscope or take a photograph of it, you'll never know. That actually happens. So they can do that kind of thing. And the mark of the beast, though, biblically, when we look at that that word that's translated as mark in uh, Revelation 13, for example, it has a very specific meaning. It's a tattoo, and it looks like a picket fence. In other words, it's exactly how a UPC or EAN barcode looks like. The Greek text, the Greek word itself actually describes that. And most people who are looking at the mark of the beast and assume this is a chip or something like that, they overlook that fact. So it can be a chip that's produced with lithography, you know, using line-based patterns. Uh, 
but it is most literally something like the mar- like uh, the UPC or EA and barcode or well, let's just say that all matter, that's even, true. Uh, QR code. Mm-hmm. Let's just say they can stick a barcode on your hand and your forehead. But the thing is, spiritually, people are already making choices whether they belong to God or or belong to the beast, right? For all the imagery yes. of all the stuff that we've seen already. So having that one little barcode there, why would God make that person unredeemable any longer for taking that barcode? Let's just say if it's a barcode versus something more deeply that changes fundamental as a human being where you're no longer redeemable. But the fact that you're just taking a tattoo on your forehead, you're still redeemable. They can still repent of there's people tattooed all over the place, right? So they can No, not right. Not right. Let me let me get into that a little bit. Not right. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit a little bit for a moment. Maybe it's first chapter six I want here. Yeah, wow. Let me do this here. All right. Ephesians 4.30, for example, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. I have a whole study on the nature of seals in my upcoming Messiah History in the Tribulation Period series. So a seal can involve multiple things, but it includes, for example, a name or authority. Uh, in this case, the Holy Spirit, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit to God when we're saved. Uh, the mark of the beast is the antithesis for the devil, of sealing his servants. And so when the, the mark of the beast, yeah, and by the way, you know, you get the 144,000 Israelites. Yeah, that's a spiritual mark. Who are going to be sealed. You know, they're going to have a, um, a mark on their foreheads from God, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that might be a cross. We'll have to wait and see what it is. We don't know if it'll be visible. But God will have his mark on their foreheads. Then in addition to that, all Christians are sealed to God by the Holy Spirit. That's a form of spiritual mark. The mark of the beast is the antithesis to that. And those who take it are not, you know, they've sold their souls to the devil. They've completely rejected God to take that. They've been forewarned not to take it. They do it anyway. So no, they cannot be redeemed. And even if you could argue and I'll come back to this because I do make an argument on it, and maybe you haven't heard it, and I'll come back to that. Even if they could be uh, redeemed in some fashion otherwise, God is here stating explicitly that they will be condemned. He's made a choice around that, in other words, around their decision to take the seal of the devil on their bodies, which is what that mark actually is. It isn't just about buying and selling. Around their choice to take that seal on themselves, um, but people in that sense are already they'll experience condemned. God's wrath. They'll be condemned. Right. Well, if that's the case, then people have already been taking the mark since beginning in time, one way or the other. No, no, they haven't. This is something that happens under the Antichrist. It has not happened historically yet. No, no, no I understand You've that. You've seen but foreshadowings what, of it. Right. What I'm saying is if it's a spiritual choice to accept satan or reject god then people are already marked in in that sense who they've chosen 
No. No, they may die unbelievers, right? Right. And if you're not in God's camp, by default, you're in the devil's camp, whether you realize it or not. So if they die unbelievers, yes, they go to hell. This is a situation where they're still alive and they're choosing effectively to, to they're choosing effectively to serve the devil to receive the devil's mark so that they can continue to survive. They're choosing to make the devil their savior, if you will, to save them by letting them buy or sell, right? So uh, what's the difference, like people, the videos that we just saw earlier in this podcast with Ozzy Osbourne, uh, Rihanna, and Chris, uh, I forgot his name, but all of those people, aren't they saying that they are belonging to Satan? Yes, they are, but they haven't physically taken the mark of the beast on themselves yet, so they could still be saved if they, if they give their lives to God before they die. This is a different category is what I'm saying to you. This is taking it to the next level when people actually take this mark of the Antichrist or mark of the beast on their bodies physically in their hand or forehead. Anyone who's got that on their body physically is has a de facto ticket to hell, basically. Mm -hmm. They're going to hell. Now, that being said, and, and most Christians would agree with what I've just said, those who are familiar with this passage, and a lot of those people who would agree with what I've just said would argue with what I'm about to say next. You know, I don't ever say anything without coming directly from Scripture, which means I also do not just accept something because it's the common teaching of the day, which is also why God chose me to make known the identity of the Antichrist to the church in the world, why I am doing some unique things that other Christians have not been called to do historically, why God chose me for this. So the next thing that I'm about to show you deals with the point you're trying to make, and it's something that a lot of Christians will have difficulty accepting, but this is also true biblically so let's let's take a look uh, i should have searched a different phrase here okay christ said in the gospels if you're right he had causes you to sin cut it off and cast it from you it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than that your whole body be cast into hell. He said it multiple times, Matthew 5.30, Matthew 8.18, repeated in Mark 9.43, Mark 9.45, John 18. At least five verses of scripture to which we can look to see that Christ's assertion was, if you don't want your whole body cast into hell because your hand or your foot or your eye, you know, is causing you to sin, cast it from you, right? So let's see here, uh, your eye, pluck. Um, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire, right? Right here? So the point is, and again, up here, Matthew, Mark, the point is, if that mark of the beast is in your forehead like your eye, right? Or it's in your hand, physically, tattooed or embedded either way, you have an option. Maybe, and I, and I want to emphasize in the strongest possible way the word maybe, and I'll come back why I'm emphasizing that, maybe, to physically excise that from your body, meaning chop off your hand, literally, 
if that's what it takes to remove that mark. Literally carve it right out of your forehead if necessary. If it's somehow embedded in your eye, have that eye plucked out of your body and cast it from your body. I'm saying to you that these statements of Christ are meant to be taken literally. They are not just about covetousness, as so many Christians have tried to claim, using alleged idioms from the first century or this kind of thing, or alleged rabbinic sayings. Christ meant exactly what he said. He said exactly what he meant. He was explicitly saying, if because of your hand or your eye or your foot, you're going to be cast into hell, and you know it, you have an option. Physically remove that part of your body and cast it from you. Kill it in this life. And then here's the point. Maybe, maybe, if that happens to contain the mark of the beast, maybe, if you fall on your face before God and cry out to God for in genuine repentance, maybe he will extend grace to you to accept that repentance if it's real. And he'll be the one who judges whether it is or not. And you're not playing some game with him. In other words, you hadn't decided years earlier, I'm going to take the mark and skate along and survive for a few years. And then right before, you know, the Lord's about to cast me into hell, I'm going to cut that off my body, you know, so that I don't get condemned. In other words, so long as you're not playing some game like that with him, and only God's going to be the judge of that. He's going to know your heart and your mind, right? Uh, maybe. He'll have mercy on you and not cast you down to hell. So that's my point. Uh, no, I, I understand all of that. There's the a possible with today's yeah. technology and transhumanism. I think the mark is going to be more than a tech. Well, yeah. well, they might they might try to do that, inject a chip or something like that, where you can't okay. remove it from the body. However, the problem, Sema, with that kind of an argument is that. The location of the mark of the beast is not systemic, biblically. It's specifically placed the right hand in the right hand or the forehead. Right. It does not go just anywhere, in other words. So to try to argue that it might be some genetic change at the genetic level through transhumanism or bioengineering or an mRNA jab or anything like that, or well, the injection point. of tiny integrated circuits that float around the body, to try to argue that that would be the mark of the beast and that therefore it couldn't physically be removed contradicts this scripture here. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's a good point that it can't be a chemical thing that's doing that. I also think the mark is meant to be as a graven image worship of that beast. So I think it has to be more than a uh, barcode. It has to be something. It's a graven image which God has talked about and forbidden throughout the Bible. Well, again, Scripture explicitly says it's associated with the number 666. We know that, right? But that's and the number of man, right? It's, so the number of, it's not just the number of man. It's explicitly the, the number of the Antichrist, this beast who is represented by this mark. In Revelation 13, it's the number of the beast, in this case, Charles. It's his number. And... The mark is is goes in the right hand of the forehead. It's associated with the number of his name, the beast's name. So the mark is associated with 666. It's explicitly associated with that first beast, Charles Heraldic Achievement, his coat of arms. It's explicitly associated with him and his name. But when we look at the Greek text, and this is what a lot of people fail to do, 
who try to speculate on the mark of the beast. So if we look at, uh, for example, I feel like English. it's own video on its own just to talk about the mark of the beast. Well, you could, but I have a whole book coming on it where yeah. I go into this stuff and, and a great deal more. But the point is, it's a specific Greek word that's used here for mark of the beast. If you go and look at this and you really study this out here and in lexicons, you know, in dictionaries that are available for, for based upon ancient Greek literature and so forth, and all the usages in scripture, it's talking about something that has a picket-like fence appearance. So it actually looks like, uh, in large measure, what you see on a UPC or AN barcode or a line-based code of some sort, even like what you see, but more like on a UPC or AN, but even like what you see in a QR code. So it has a, a well, physical appearance. It's the QR code. I think that would make a lot more sense. Um, the difference is, the difference is, the 666 is explicitly embedded in UPC and EAN codes. It's explicitly there. There are three numbers they're not actually showing you that are read in every single UPC and EAN barcode, which are three sixes. So if I pull one up. And they can embed imagery within the QR code, all of it, as a graven image, numbers, whatever they want. Well, Yes and no, but I, I want to make a particular point here. So, for example, in this barcode right here, mm -hmm. there are three sets of two thin lines that they show you, left, right, and in the center. But they're not showing you the digit that they represent. The code itself is divided into even parity and odd parity. That's computer lingo, lingo for when it's scanned. Mm -hmm. One half is odd parity, the other half is even parity. So the patterns of the bars above the left half versus the right half are different for the same numbers. So you might see a seven on the left and a seven on the right. If you look at the bars above that digit seven on either half, they're not going to be the same pattern. That's because one is even par even parity, the other is odd parity. But if you look at the digit six on the right half of any UPC or EAN barcode, you're going to see these two thin bars right above it. It's that parity. The same parity is being used on either end and in the middle. And so these are all sixes. Six, six, six. And that's in every UPC and EAN barcode in the world. On most goods that are bought and sold throughout the world today, and it's been that way for decades. That's inbuilt into the code itself. If we look at a QR code, however... What every QR code has is this nested set of squares. And there are various forms. There are multiple forms of QR codes. So some have more squares and some have fewer, but they always have three sets of nested squares on them. These squares are read with what are called masking patterns, which is another thing of computer lingo, but it's a programmatic approach to digitally reading these codes. One of the masking patterns that's applied to try to read these codes, these QR codes, reads the top uh, as three and the bottom as three. And each of these nested sets of squares is like three, 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 three. Or if you add those together, six, six, six. That's there in every QR code, but it's less certain than what's present here in the UPC or EAN barcode where it's explicit. So 
whether it's this or a QR code or something like it, it well, might the QR have code has been they've been trying to get everybody to use that. So like since if you had traveled anywhere since 2020, even restaurants, they were no longer issuing uh, menus. You have to use barcode or the QR code. Now they I've seen them on sites everywhere. If you not only did they have their normal propaganda stuff, but they'll add that QR code. And even in businesses, anytime they put out anything literature wise, it's always a QR code. So I'm beginning to think that they intentionally wanted people to get used to using the QR code as the only well, one. And again, it could be a QR code. It could be a normal UPC or EAN barcode. It could be both. But the point yeah. I was making earlier when we were talking about the World Health Organization and this pandemic or health treaty, whatever they decide to call it, if they get something like that going globally, and it could be that, or it could be something that's yet to come. But if they do that, then we can look at the so-called vaccine passports that occurred in the last three years. Right. They all have QR codes on them. Yeah, exactly. And, and they want to call that a digital ID and push a code like that. Maybe it'll be that code or something similar or a UPC or EAN barcode. But they want to put that on these so-called passports. They want to completely digitize it, right? Yeah. The next step, once they issue an ID like that to everybody globally, and that's the, that's what they're trying to force right now today, right now behind the scenes, they're trying to bring that to pass through the WHO, through this approach, and it's all being done under Charles, through the WHO, under Bill Gates, et cetera, Bill Gates being one of Charles Knights, under the CCP. They're trying to push that now, and if they succeed with it, they can force every person on the planet just about to have a digital ID. So they may try to make that a QR code initially or a UPC or EAN barcode that's on a piece of paper, like a physical passport, or on a phone, like a digital application. The next step will then be to say, be to say well, who needs the paper or the device? Let's tattoo yeah, it on your body or embed it in your skin. Yeah, they're training people flesh. to start accepting this ID system. I mean, this is the reason why 2020 and like many others, you know, I woke up and I wanted to start doing this podcast to talk about all this stuff because I, I see that we're in that time where the stuff that the Bible talks about is coming to reality. So I do appreciate all of your information and help. I don't know. If I still buying into whether it's going to be a barcode or something similar, I think it has to be more, but I just could be wrong on that. It very well could be more, but I think it'll at least include this. You know, in fact, yeah. to give another illustration of that, these biochips that are implanted in animals, you know, to track yeah. them and have yeah. been for decades and which some humans have been taking, when those biochips arrive ready for implantation, they come with paperwork. And you know what's on that paperwork? What? A UPC or EAN barcode. Yeah. Well, they've developed that system to track people. Well, in other words, they're using the barcode to encode the digit the uh, the digits that are transmitted by the chip. Yeah. There are chips that also in in the uh, design of the RFID chips themselves have six 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 in some fashion built into their technology. That's another thing I go into the into in that Mark of the Beast book. But apart from all of that, you know, there are more things. So, for example, if we were to look up chip heraldry, you've probably never heard of this before, right? Nope. Yeah, and if we do, let's do uh, integrated. 
maybe at the end you can show uh, Fauci's heraldry because I never even heard about that. Yeah. So if you do integrated cir circuit uh, chip heraldry, yeah, and uh, it looks like they're actually obscuring it. Let me uh, let's see. Um, let's see if I pull up an example at Starship Enterprise. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is the the beast number okay. is one number, while all these other things are individualized numbers to people. So you think it's a combination of individual numbers that to identify us and the beast number, which is only one number, like the UPC thing? Well, this is... Uh, I'm noticing here, Zima, Zima that uh, they are hiding the chip heraldry suddenly. Used to be easy um, to pull this up. Let's see here. Let me try this again. I want to show you something specifically. All right, here's one. You see a coat of arms, right? Yeah. It's that image was taken under an electron microscope. Wow. That's actually engraved on an integrated circuit chip. You know, this is second evidence, concrete evidence in, in support of your argument in your books. Because why yeah. would they be choosing uh, King Charles heraldry and put that on the chip? What reason? Well, would that's they not his. Them? That's not his coat of arms. No, but, but it's similar I mean, enough for someone to look at this and realize that it just as well could be. Right. You know, they could actually engrave his heraldic achievement with Red Dragon and the whole deal, and stick that on an integrated circuit that relates to the mark of the beast and shove that in your hand or your forehead, and voila, you're walking around with the image the beast in your forehead and your hand or your hand and you don't even know it yeah that's a Hewley packard chip huh so they why would they be doing that that we're they've been doing this since the 1970s at least so they already they're basically pledging allegiance right already well no to them this is something the engineers have done it's like an inside joke some of them put the starship enterprise oh, some put uh, logos of companies you know some put other things it, it's it's like something the engineers have fun doing among themselves. But the point is, this can very easily be turned into a practical application, right? You know, where it's the mark, you know, part of the mark of the beast. Well, it's all super scary. I mean, couldn't they even do that with the micro uh, stuff that they put inside your body now? What do they call them? Micro well, what you're looking at here is more than small enough to go into your body. But why couldn't they do this that? This is microscopic, what you're seeing right here. Why couldn't uh, they I mean, do this that? is microscopic right here. Yeah. Well, that's what I mean. So why couldn't they do that to human biology, too? Well, human biology isn't integrated circuit chips, right? It's DNA and, and RNA and so forth and mm. you know, uh, epigenetics and so on. It's a there's a bunch of stuff related to human genetics that is far more advanced and far more compact than any computerized anything that we have in the world today. The closest thing we might have in the world to it today that's being developed right now is DNA-based storage. But even that's extremely, 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 extremely primitive compared to your genome. So let alone the machinery in a cell. So those things being said, again, we're limited biblically to the hand or the forehead, meaning Okay, Wherever so they do end up putting the mark of the beast, it doesn't float around in the body. Yeah, I agree. Away from those that. areas. Yeah, I don't. I, it has to be hand and forehead. But all these imagery of whatever they're choosing so far, who's going to want that on their forehead tattooed like that? 
Well, my point to you is, if somebody handed you an integrated circuit and they said, there's a coat of arms on this, go find it. If it wasn't even covered, you know, in plastic and the epoxies and other things that they use to seal integrated circuits and protect them, you know, for use in electronics. Uh-huh. If they handed you a raw engraved circuit and they said, go find a coat of arms on this, we've engraved one. And they told you to look for that. You could spend years and years, literally, searching the surface of that chip with an electron microscope, microscope trying to find where they engraved that coat yeah. of arms. If they didn't tell you where it was, it's literally looking for a needle in a haystack the size of a country. Right. It's about what it's like. So you you probably never find it. But if the engineers tell you where it is precisely, you can go find it. You can see it. You can photograph it like they've done right here. So my point to you is, and of course, the circuits are getting smaller and smaller. So they could put something like that in a chip. You know, that's related to, for example, UPC or EA and barcode. They could right. use a combination of those things. They could put such a barcode on a chip itself and they could stick that in your body or they could just do a barcode. It doesn't matter. They could use Charles' coat of arms and they could tattoo that on your body with ink that's not visible to the naked eye. There's a whole bunch of different things they could do that would literally fulfill the passage as long as it goes in the right hand or the forehead. It's associated with buying and selling. It's associated with the mark of the beast and the number 666. Those are the requirements. They could do all those things, but if they stick it on a chip and stick it in your body, unless they tell you that it's there on the chip, it's going to be like an inside bit of knowledge to them, and you're not going to know about it. But I feel like the whole point of revelation is that people are going to be knowing about it, and they're going to be making that choice consciously. Well, they will know that it's associated with Charles as the Antichrist. Right. They will know that it's associated with buying and selling, that if you don't take it, you're not going to be able to go to your favorite grocery store to buy stuff that you need to survive. Yeah, which is coming very soon. I've already been experiencing what they've been trying to do with since 2020. Um, so well, let me give one more one more rubber hits the road or meets the road type illustration, right? Yeah. We have all these loyalty cards that we use today, and in some cases they're required to go into various uh, entities to buy or sell. So, for example, if I want to go into Costco, I have yeah. a membership card, right? Mm-hmm. On that membership card, not only is my number uh, there in text, my membership ID number, but there's a UPC or EAN barcode on that card. And right. when I want to buy something, I have to present that card at the register, which they scan. So in other words, I'm handing it to them in my hand, right or left hand, right? At that moment, when I'm handing it to them, uh, the mark of the beast, the UPC or EAN barcode, and I'm not I'm saying my, but it's not really in mine, and I'll come back to why I'm saying that. It's in the hand of the individual. Giving that card to be scanned, say at Costco, could be Kroger, you know, like their loyalty card, same deal. But, but at is- Costco, you have to have it to buy or sell there. My point is you're using the mark of the beast to buy already in that context. So me personally, yeah, but- and I've told people this for decades, hang on. Me personally. I don't use those codes. If I want to shop at Costco, I physically remove the barcode from my card. I force them to key in my number. I have always done that. I don't allow them to have that code on my card and to scan it. But you're still using those numbers, though. So the thing is... But the numbers, the numbers, the membership ID does not have 666 in it. That's my point. The membership ID is not got the 666. The barcode 
from which they're scanning the membership ID does. It has an additional three digits, which are all sixes in it. But with a zillion things that we live in modern world, and they've been doing this slowly to get us in their system for a very long time. I mean, how can we live anyway if we try to be conscious about every little thing? The only thing that I am going by with what the Bible says, that'll be like the end. Right hand. Well, here's what God told Joseph to do, right? Store up food for seven years. Tell yeah. Pharaoh to do that, right? And so we are in the time where Christians can see. We're nearing the year 6,000. Christians can see the Antichrist has to be alive today. And those who are paying attention to what I have offered uh, know that Charles is the Antichrist. So they know who it is. They know he's alive now. They know we're nearing the year 6,000. They know that the technology to implement the mark of the beast globally exists, and they're already playing with it. They have been for decades. They know these things. Having listened to us today, they'll know that the mark of the beast has actually been in use for decades to buy or sell. It's not just that you have to have it on your item you know, that you're buying to scan it in the grocery store today. You have to have it to sell. So, for example, in the first edition of the Antichrist and the Cup of Tea, people who get that and look at the back cover of the book, there's no barcode on it. Mm -hmm. I never put one on it. People who look at the back of my book, North Korea, Iran, and the Coming World War, they'll see a barcode on it, but the publisher didn't put that there. Amazon did. We don't provide but it. You buy products with barcodes on them. You, you yeah, but my point, is, my point is neither I nor Prophecy as my publisher will sell anything with them on it. Right. And if we want to sell one of these books through Amazon, for example, Amazon insists on having that barcode on the product. If we want to sell through them, we refuse to provide that. So what happens? Amazon, they want to make a buck on it. They want to sell it. So what do they do? They slap their own barcode on it. They do that. Mm -hmm. So my point to you is you already have to have the barcode to buy or to sell. It's just not being forced to be physically in your body. But if you're using these loyalty cards, there are places like Costco where you have to have it to buy. Uh, me, they frequently will say to me, well, you need a new card. There's membership over there. You, you want to get a new card. Your card's damaged. There's no barcode on it. My response to them is no. I've permanently removed the barcode intentionally. And mm -hmm. I wrote my signature over it instead because I'm not going to let you use that for me to buy here. So key in my number. Don't be lazy. Key in my number. I usually don't have to tell them to not be lazy. They realize they have to key it in. Mm -hmm. But if they want to argue with me, I'll tell them key in my number. You can use that. That's all you need. It's a little extra work for them. But my point is, when the day comes that you have to have physically that on your body, that's the day when you can no longer buy or sell in a store and you better have already stored up food, water, preparations ahead of time for yourself, for your loved ones, for your neighbors, for your churches. If you haven't done that, you're going to be in a world of hurt. And because so many Christians have been taught pre-tribulationism and mid-tribulationism, mid both of which are lies. There will be a rapture, but it's at the end of the tribulation week. Because they've been taught that, they think they're going to get away from all this. They're going to miss out on this stuff. And they're not actually preparing most of them for, for that eventuality. Some are prepping for other things, which is fine. I think but the, the bottom line is, it's just what God do. said to Joseph. Yeah. The it's prepping in God. I feel like it's, yes, you can do some yourself, but ultimately... God is the one that's going to give you all the provisions after you have rejected the mark. Yeah, to, it has to so come from. Essentially, yeah, we're going yeah. into the wilderness like 
the Israelites did, you know, in uh, the Old Testament. Well, look, we, yeah, well, consider this. We reap what we sow, right? Yes. How will God react toward those who said, no, we're not going to be here. We're not going to prepare. Oh, no. No, I we're not going to be here. We're yeah. not going to get ready ahead of time. Do you think, think that God is going to honor those people by providing for them in the wilderness? Well, I think all those who have faith in God and rely on him, yes, he will provide. Those are the people that are waiting to be raptured. I'm not part of that. I don't, I don't think so, Seema. I think he's going to say to them, don't take the mark. Be willing to lose your life for my name. Show me your faith is real. That's what he's actually going to do. And so Christians are going to be martyred around the world. There is going to be one location where God himself is making the provision. And that's the place to which the believers who are spoken of in Revelation 12 flee. In other words, those believers who flee from Judea to the wilderness or to the mountains, to a place where God has prepared for them a time, times and a half a time, or the three and a half years of the Great Tribulation, which many Christians think, those who are paying attention to prophecy think, is probably Petra in Jordan today. Those individuals, wherever that place is, and yeah, it's probably Petra, but we'll see. Right. The Bible is very clear. Those that mm -hmm. went through the Great Tribulation wearing white robes, there were many from all over the world. So yes, they will, many yeah. will die during mm -hmm. the Great Tribulation. But the ones that, they're also going to be survivors that will come through. Well, the one, yes, but the ones, when you talk about the passage in Revelation 7, for example, the innumerable company wearing white robes, Mm -hmm. They're already resurrected or translated. That event is already right after the tribulation wake. It's right after the great tribulation. Right. So and they many of them will have died first. Yeah. Pardon me? They went yeah. through the great tribulation, right? So Correct. that's how they ended up. So the point is, no matter how much they would have stored during the great tribulation, that's not what made them survive. They were destined. No, well, okay. People ask me, what do I have to do? to survive what should i or my family do right mm -hmm. my response is always this do what god shows you to do because what god tells me to do or what makes sense for me may be totally different from what he tells you to do and my, what makes sense for you and your particular location in the world time frame in the world circumstance in the world you know if you're faithfully serving god he'll choose martyrdom for you or he'll choose to provide for you so you can survive in some fashion to the end and be resurrected or translated. Whichever it is, you have to be faithful to the end. And in the meantime, if you're faithfully serving God, you will know that you're going through these things in advance. And as a consequence of that knowledge, you will not be sitting around thinking, oh, gee, what should I be doing with my time mm -hmm. or my resources? You will be saying to yourself, okay, Lord, and to the Lord, what do I need to do to prepare for myself, my loved ones, my churches, my neighbors, to survive these things outside the system that's coming, etc., for as long as possible to be a witness here and to help here to win many to the Lord? That's what you would be doing instead, especially as we get closer and closer to the Great Tribulation. You would be doing the kind of thing that Joseph did. You'd be advising your churches, your neighbors, your families to start storing up now, to start getting ready now for what's coming. Because listen, Seema, even in, in, a, in a perfect, imperfect world, when those times come, the environment is going to be damaged around the world. Weather's going to go haywire around the world, both, and not just from things humanity does with weapons of war. There'll be 
asteroid impacts, comet impacts, volcanic eruptions, earthquakes, tsunamis, other bad things that happen in the world on an increasing basis. So if you've stored up food, water, let's say you've stored up water and seeds and you intend to grow and you've got a perfect climate today where you live to grow food, well, you might not be able to grow anything in that time. It might have been a lot better to store ready-made food, ready to eat. So my point is, what works for you might not be what works for somebody else. You have to ask God specifically to show you, and you have to prepare in multiple ways based on what he shows you for yourself and others. And people should be doing that right now today. Yeah, I agree with that. Whatever you have the ability to do, uh, Mm -hmm. sure, do that. Uh, but there are many who don't have that ability. There are people that are handicapped. There are people that are older, younger. They're going to have to rely on God. They cannot. Or others who have prepped ahead of time to help them yes. get to, in communities. Yeah. So those are the those... people that I think about, you know, like that God has to show his mercy during this well, time. Well, for those, yeah, you know, for those people, if they're faithful to God and they simply lack the means. Yeah. To do these things in advance, God will provide for them through others who have the means. Right. Unless his choice for them is martyrdom. Which is fine too. I'm I always said, you know, if the chopping block comes first for me, I'm okay with that. Because I don't want to have to survive, try to survive those three and a half years or seven years. If I'm like the first one to go, then I'll already be in heaven and I'll get my white robe and I'll be fine with that. But yeah. If I'm not, if I'm meant to see all the horrors of the world that they're going to try to create, then I hope that God has grace for me because I don't have that ability to store stuff or hide out in a land where they're not going to come bother me. I feel like they're going to come after me no matter what, and I'm going to have to go in hiding. I had dreams about going into hiding, you know, long ago. So I feel like I just hope that God gives me strength to come through that. Um, Well, you know, Seema, even if you had the means. Yeah. Even if you were a billionaire and you had, you know, 10 silos turned into underground complexes and places to go to flee, to live underground yeah. during these events, you know, worst case scenario, and you had it all set, ready to go. Who's to say there won't be an earthquake where you go so that yeah, those things exactly. collapse on your head, right? Yeah. It, it's ultimately up to God and his choice yeah. to help you survive or to bring you home sooner. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you so much. I love to talk about all this stuff with you. And we go at hours at time when we do this. So I hope on the next one, uh, whenever your next book is coming out, I would love to talk to you more about biblical stuff and maybe how to really prepare mentally, not so much physically, but as I, you know, we see all this stuff coming at a greater and greater pace. You know, I'm I'm not going to lie. It does create a little bit of fear in me too so oh, of course well the first step to preparation is believing god's word and knowing that you're going to be here be honest yeah. with yourself and honest with others and blatantly brazenly reject the lie that the church is going to escape these things yeah well thank you thank you so much uh, maybe we could do the mark of the beast again next time yeah i have a book coming on the mark of the beast that'll be yeah. shortly after the Antichrist and Cup of Tea, uh, all the backers are filled. So in the latter half of this year, I would expect that one to be published. It's not mentioned on Prophecy House's site yet. I have a Last Day's Polemic coming that should be published later this year. I hope to have the book dealing with the 
depopulation agenda and transhumanism and enslavement of mankind survivors these agendas that book published yeah, later i would this love year, to talk seeing. to you about all of that especially transhumanism and depopulation because i think the depopulation mm -hmm. is happening right now so well it's we're begun. in it yeah it started yes right they've started it okay so whenever maybe we can talk in a few months uh hopefully your book will be released on them i'm, I'm really kind of should be it should be shipping between april and june this year yeah that would be perfect time to talk the second about. edition so you know i've got dozens of books coming three multi-volume series and people can read about a lot of these on prophecy house's site so folks it's just yeah. prophecyhouse.com but several books that i have coming like the ones i just talked about like in the depopulation agenda for example are not yet mentioned on this site and they'll only be mentioned once they actually go to press so yeah a lot of exciting things coming including things i'm not free to completely discuss yet awesome can't wait to talk about it next time yep. thank you God so bless. much thank you Sima. have a great day you too shalom bye